You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is the familiar tune that tells us it is time to welcome Howard Parkin into the studio for a bumper New Year edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Now, you might very well be shouting at me and saying, but it's not the last Sunday in January. Well, it isn't. But, of course, because the last Sunday in December was New Year's Eve, that was in Ben Hartley's very capable hands. And so I've invited Howard to come on in and join us now with a bumper New Year edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Howard, fast am I. Fast am I, Judith. It's great to be here again and Happy New Year to you and all the listeners. Thank you very much indeed and I hope it is a happy and star-filled year for you, Well, Howard. we've started off quite well. We've had a few clear nights since so let's, fingers crossed it'll stay that way for a bit. Well now, let's do as we always do and take a more detailed look at the January skies. Nice and dark for you, Howard. Oh, it's been beautiful. We were at the observatory on Thursday night and it was a lovely night. We went in actually. It was beautiful when we went in. It clouded over a bit but then when I got home it was lovely. And you know, I, I say it all the time, there literally is a feast of stars in the winter sky that we look at, all these beautiful bright stars of winter. Even my wife, when I got home last night, she said to me, come out here, and she pointed out the stars. I mean, she's pointing out the stars to me because they were so bright and so uh, profuse. It's a great time just to look up. You don't need to know what you're looking at. You just look up and wonder and think, wow, isn't that special? And that's what it has been the last couple of nights, and hopefully it'll stay like that because we've got a bit of a settle spell spreading over now, so let's hope we get... I know it's going to go colder, well, I don't know about you. I'd rather have the cold and the wind and rain we've been having. Because the brightest object, without any doubt, due south-southwest, this direction around 10, 11 o'clock at the moment, is Jupiter, dominating what we call the, the edge of the autumn, beginning of the winter sky. And Jupiter is quite unmistakable. And yes, if you get up early, if you're an early riser and you look in the sky in the morning sky, you're going to see another very bright object, which is Venus. And those are the two spectacular, is the word, objects we can see in our January sky. And they'll be like that for some time to come. Venus is actually getting lower and lower. It won't go around the back of the sun until I think it's late June, July time. But um, Jupiter's going to be there for quite some time. It's slowly going to track across the sky and then eventually it'll disappear behind the sun itself. And then they'll all re-emerge in the morning sky and then we'll do the whole process again next year. This familiarity, this is what the ancient astronomers used to love because there's a consistency. When they didn't know what the stars were doing, what the planets were doing in particular, that led to an awful lot of confusion. It led to the idea that the Earth was the centre of the universe, not the sun. And it wasn't until Galileo and Copernicus and Newton and all these sort of people realised just exactly what was going on and they could then give this predictability. But I could look up and say to you, Venus will be in the evening sky, but it will be next Christmas. It won't be the following Christmas, and so on. We like familiarity. We don't like change. We don't like things that are dramatic change. That's why eclipses are frightened people to death, and shooting stars are seen as omens of um, bad ideas and comets and that. This familiarity, and that's what we see when we look up. We see the stars as they are. Throughout our lifetime, they will not change. And uh, you can rely on that right through from um, wherever you are on the planet as well. 
We've got the constancy, which is wonderful in a very changing world because the, the world that we live in, we've often commented on how quickly technology, everything around oh, very us much so, very changes. Much. You know, you've talked about new things that they've found, oh, new, yeah. new new sign of a planet or a constellation or something, or something that's, that's shown up mm. that's a puzzle. For every answer we get, we get a dozen questions behind it. But most of what's discovered scientifically, of course, now are not things you'll see with the naked eye. There are very few naked eye objects that we see. Occasionally we'll get a bright comet. Occasionally we might get a supernova. Other ones overdue, if you like, in our own solar, in our own galaxy. Um, but those things don't change, which again gives us back that familiarity. But it's nice to know that the scientists are finding these wonderful pictures from the Hubble and the James Webb and that sort of stuff. Well, breathtaking pictures. They are absolutely amazing. And they bring their own stories and their own course, challenges with them, which is something do. we enjoy discussing. But just before we get carried away with that entirely, we have billed this as it is our bumper edition for the new yes. year. So you're going to help us with a look at some major events in the Manx sky. Yes. Um, what I thought I would do, and I do this every year. I produce a, a document which actually gives us the highlights of the year and then a monthly guide. And uh, listeners are more than welcome to uh, get a copy from me via internet. I'm more happy to forward a copy to them. But basically, there's about a dozen what I would call exciting astronomical sites. One of them, sadly, has already been and gone. The quadranted meter shower, which peaked on Wednesday, Thursday, just gone. Um, that was quite good because, again, we had good weather and quite a few people at our observatory on Thursday night said they'd seen quite a few of these meteors. This particular meter shower gets ignored because straight after New Year so people don't tend to hear about it until you're talking on the radio or the TV or wherever and everyone says oh by the way the quadranted shower was a week ago but at least this year but we have got an eclipse of the sun that is going to be visible from the Isle of Man on the 8th of April and that eclipse will be a very very small partial eclipse seen from the Isle of Man just before sunset so if you're over in Peel on the evening of the 8th of April, uh, look towards the western horizon. As you see the sun go down, there'll literally be a little nibble taken out the bottom. It's only about 4% eclipse. That is, if you take the whole solar disk, 4% of the solar disk will be covered by the moon. And um, if you want to see that in all its glory, the place to go and see that is the United States. It's going straight across from uh, Mexico right up to uh, Newfoundland in Canada. And it's probably going to be the most watched eclipse ever. And there'll be all sorts of news about it. So you remember you heard it first on Manx Radio back in January 2024. <laughs> We've got quite a number of what we call conjunctions because they planets, as we are talking before, about Venus and Jupiter. And some of you may recall on the evening of the, um, I think it was the 27th of December 2020, one of the good things that came out of 2020, we had Jupiter and Saturn very, very close to each other in the sky. And now you've got Jupiter dominating our evening sky and Saturn in the morning sky. But the planets go around this path called the ecliptic. The path of the ecliptic is where the sun, the moon and the planets go along. And we've got quite a few what we call close conjunctions. We've got Saturn and Mars close together on April the 10th. We've got another one of Jupiter and Mars on August the 14th. And I could go on. There's about six or seven of these throughout the year. And again, if people want to know the details, just drop me an email. I'll be more than happy to send you a copy. We've also got, of course, the, the meteor showers. The meteor showers are always... Uh, reliable. Um, I don't know if anyone else saw any um, torrid meteors in particular in December. We had good good weather in late November, early December. I saw quite a few torrids. Uh, the Geminid shower this year, which is one of the best ones we get each year. Sadly, the weather was appalling in um, early December this year, so very few people saw any good Geminids. There's a very great picture of a fireball seen in Japan, but that doesn't help us very much at all. Um, we've got a couple of lunar eclipses taking place, one on the 18th of September and the other one going backwards is in March, but they're not particularly good ones, they're partial eclipses. And then we finish off the year with actually the moon actually goes over Mars in the early hours of the morning, 9.23 in the morning, so it will be daylight, 
But if you've got a telescope and you can get the moon up on your telescope, you'll see this star, which is Mars, quite faint because it'll be almost daylight, and um, disappearing behind the limb of the moon. And these sort of things, these are the the strange things. These, I mean, I'm doing my talk on the star of Bethlehem. Um, I'm doing that. Uh, I've done that a few times. I've got one more to go. Um, these are the things that look different. So these learned people all those years ago, call them wise men, call them what you like. They see things and they see the regularity and they're comfortable and they're happy. Then all of a sudden something dramatic happens. Makes you think there's something dramatic happened, like the birth of Jesus, as we were talking about earlier. So that's just a quick snapshot of all the things going on in the, in the year of 2024. Uh, to me, the highlight will be the eclipse because I'm actually going across to see the eclipse. We're going on holiday, nothing to do with cruising. And we're going across to Texas to see this. So fingers crossed the weather will be good. And um, as I say, I'll, I'll give you a wave uh, as you see the eclipse from at sunset in the Alamano of Peel or near Peel. Uh, think of me sitting in Texas watching it from um, a park. Well, all I can say is I hope you'll be taking your Manx flag to fly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The last eclipse we saw, not the last one, but the one we saw in Turkey in 2006, we've got a wonderful picture of the Manx flag in the foreground there as we're looking at the eclipse. So I'll do the same again Texas, in Texas, I promise. So is that, uh, that's the particular reason that you're going to Texas? Yes. Absolutely to see that. Absolutely. Well, I'm, we're actually going on holiday, Sandra and I. We're actually celebrating my 70th, which was last August. We're actually having, having a trip uh, down the Mississippi, actually. Um, and then the eclipse is straight after it. So I'm um, going to drive across to Texas and watch the eclipse. I have to tell you, dear listener, he doesn't look a day over 55. <laughs> I wish. So how is it organised then? When you actually get there, is it, uh, are there special areas where it's it's best observation? To be honest, I've done both. Uh, we went to Turkey to see the one in 2006. The thing with eclipses, once you've seen one, if you're like me, you've got to see the next one. You've just, you get... Really? There are a, a group of eclipse chasers around the world and they just follow eclipses i mean obviously if you'll have a huge budget to do that i've been very fortunate to see the one in turkey in 2006 and that was an organized trip by the daily telegraph actually and we had a night in a hotel and we there was about probably 150 of us all gathered around this uh, on the beach uh, the area behind the beach in turkey in side sea day and then i wanted to see the one privately in 2017 in the united states with a gang of people in a a retirement village, and I gave them a talk, and there's about 50 of us watched that one. But this one, it's just going to be Sandra and I. We're going to this um, country park called Lake Whitney um, Country Park. We've hired a little um, log cabin in the woods there, and uh, we're just going to do it ourselves. I'm not going to do any advertising of um, lecturing or anything else. We're just going to sit and enjoy it. It sounds absolutely magical. And for somebody who is so passionate about all things to do with the sky, it sounds to me like the perfect way to mark a, a milestone birthday. Well, this is the idea. Well, whilst we all reflect on Mr and Mrs Parkin enjoying their lovely holiday in the log cabin and seeing the eclipse, let's have our music break.
From our music break at Manx Sky at Night, we've got Howard Parkin in the studio. It's all a little bit different because this isn't the final Sunday in the month of January. We'll tell you why all that is just at the end of the programme. But now, as always, when we're taking a look at the Manx Sky at Night, we then look further afield and see what Howard Parkin can tell us about space. And my goodness me, what a busy year we've had in space. Absolutely. And a, an even busier year to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, straight away, the headline is... Last year, there was 200. The year before, there was 100. And they're already saying there's going to be at least 250 this next year. I say this when I'm in schools, and I do quite a few talks in schools these days. I go into schools and talk to the children about uh, the Earth and its role in space and all the rest. And I'll stand there and I'll say to them, I think I've said this before, I ask them, does anyone want to go into space? And all the hands go up, or quite a few hands go up. And I say to them, you work hard, you study hard. There's so many jobs in the space industry now. I would not be at all surprised if at least one of you in the next 50 years will end up in space. And I'll make that prediction on air now. There is that much opportunity. And the space industry is its one of the few industries that's thriving because not just SpaceX, but all these other commercial companies as well, as well as NASA and the Japanese and the Chinese and the Indians, they're all doing it because there's so much we can benefit from. I mean, we sit here, I mean, I mentioned going on cruises. You know I go on cruises. Now, we all get internet access on cruises. No matter where the ship is, no matter where it is on the world, you've got full internet access because they're using the Starlink satellites. The Starlink satellites, which were launched, they're a great fanfare, and they are now become routine. That's why there's been so many launches. And Starlink have actually got a base in the Isle of Man. One of the receivers they use for transmitting the signals and boosting the signals is in the Isle of Man. There's one in Buckingham, there's one in Cornwall, and there's one in the Isle of Man. The ships are all boasting now that you've got full internet access on board, which is very handy for me to email listeners with their answers to their questions. And incidentally, I should have said, uh, when you were offering us your uh, calendar of the, of the Manx Guy at Night, I should have done a little reminder of your email address, Parkin at manx.net. Absolutely. Uh, no, no extra punctuation. No gaps, no dots. No, no. Howard Parkin at manx.net. That's with all your questions, or if you would like a copy of Howard's feel calendar. Free and I'm more than happy to send you a copy. Great. Right. So, what are the big space stories that you're most interested well, in? Well, the most. Well, just reflecting on last year a little bit. On May the seventeenth last year, we had a record of twenty people in space at once. You wind the clock back to Yuri Gagarin in 1961 and John Glenn and Alan Shepard and all them. We had one at a time for every six months if we were lucky. There was 20 people in space on May the 17th. That included six who were on a suborbital flight with Virgin Galactic, so that, strictly speaking, they're only in space for 50 minutes altogether. But the following week, on May the 30th, we had a total of 17 all in orbit. We had 11 on board the International Space Station and a total of six on board the Chinese Space Station. And space has now been occupied by mankind, by humans, since the year 2000. There's been someone in space all the time. And it's incredible when you consider that. It's only 50, 60 years since we started the space age. It just gives you an idea of the acceleration. And this last few years in particular has been dramatic. Uh, I think what's made the difference is not just NASA and the European Space Agency and the Russians or whoever, but you've got a lot of private interest. You've got SpaceX, you've got Jeff Bezos's um, Blue Origins, you've got another other companies coming along stream, uh, Dream Chaser, the Sierra Nevada space plane, which I'll mention in a moment's time. All these things are taking place, and the, the, the pace at which they're accelerating is huge. I mean, I mentioned a moment ago about what's going on Last year, those are the highlights from last year, if you like. There are probably even more people in space in 2024. But 2024, I make a prediction now, is going to be known as the year of the rocket. Because 
on tomorrow, on Monday, um, the Americans are going to launch their brand new Vulcan rocket. And this rocket isn't just going to do a test launch. It's actually going to send a spacecraft to the moon. That's the first one. You've got Starship in the wings launched twice. And despite what the media would have you say, extremely successful. To have got as far as they did, the last one um, was amazing. They're now planning to do another launch at the end of this month. And we'll wait and see. I would predict that this next one will probably do at least get the thing into orbit. Um, but um, we'll wait and see. Then you've got the um, European Space Agency um, with their brand new rocket, the Ariane 6. And you've even got Jeff Bezos with his new Glenn spaceship. New Glenn, so named because the new Glenn is named after John Glenn. The new um, Shepard launch is a suborbital one. The next generation is New Glenn, which goes into orbit. And they've already got on the drawing boards New Armstrong, which is the one that will take people to the moon. Commercial company now planning all this. And added to all that, you've got the Dream Chaser space plane, which is a small mini shuttle uh, being launched unmanned on the new Vulcan rocket um, at the end of the year. And you've still got Boeing in the wings with their new Starliner spacecraft, which has had a fraught development period. It was meant to have launched back in 2017. They're finally going to put men and women on board it and launch it, we think, in October of this year. And that's just a snapshot of some of the things going on. Add to that, we've got probes on the way to Mars. We've got probes on the way to Jupiter. Um, I can't keep up, Judith. I struggle. (laughs) Well, I think you do a pretty fine job, Howard. I really do. (laughs) Howard, what is your own personal sense that they're most keen to do? Are they most keen to develop commercial flights so that they can just put people into space and bring them back again? Or are they more concerned with exploration, bringing back samples and learning? I'd say it's 50-50. I'd say the scientific community bases are going to Mars and getting samples from Mars and going to Jupiter and finding out what made the planets originate the way they did and is the life on Enceladus around Saturn or Europa around Jupiter. That side is still very, very important. But what is coming in the wings now as well as the science the deep heavy science as well is the idea that yes space is a place that people should share people is a place people should go to if you've got the money it's like aviation was 100 years ago only the very wealthy could afford to fly across the atlantic now if you did a poll i would imagine of any community you'll find that more than half the people have been to the united states on an aircraft uh, that's the way flying has gone, and space is going the same way. But then you could throw in, which hasn't really been discussed much at all, we're talking about space tourism and that sort of stuff, but one of the things that has yet to really get developed properly, but it's it's still being planned, is if you put a, a rocket, you launch a rocket from Cape Kennedy, we'll say, into orbit, half an hour later practically, well, 45 minutes to be precise, it's halfway around the world, landed in Australia, 24 hours to get to Australia, or maybe an hour and a half, two hours. That is entirely feasible. It's expensive. It hasn't been done yet because we've only there's only space planes we've uh, successfully launched so far are the shuttle, and that was very expensive, which was why it was scrapped. But there are so many plans afoot now to send vehicles into orbit, what we call their hyperorbital transport systems. And I would imagine that will be on the drawing board in the next 50 years or so. And you won't be worried about 24 hours coming back from Australia. You'll be doing it in three hours. And that'll include sitting on the runway and waiting for them to take your luggage off. Do you think that will change the face of of what I would call ordinary air travel? In that, you know, we hear about so much congestion at the busy airports and and flights coming in every couple of moments. Do you think it's going to change the whole face could, of that? It could well do because what's going to happen is the um, the long distance flights will probably do um, suborbital flights. Um, but they won't be doing it from conventional airports. They'll be doing it from specialised spaceports, if you like. Mm. I mean, we've already got a spaceport in the in Shetland, haven't we? I and mean, that's not for passengers. That's for commercial uh, aspects, for um, scientific 
payloads. But there's so much out there. But one thing I would say quite strongly, and I, I'm fortunate, I, I appreciate I'm very fortunate to do a lot of travelling, uh, but travelling does not open the mind. It makes you realise there are people out there who have got entirely different lives than we've got, and it makes you appreciate the whole world and everything about it far more by travelling. Now, the question that has been preoccupying me since the last time we talked, have they found a way of opening the box with the samples in the Cyrus Rex, yes, yes, they have. They have managed to open it. Now, that was one. That was the one highlight I didn't. I had in my list to talk about, but of course that was a big story from last year when they brought these samples back from the um, the, the asteroid Bennu. There was something so homely about we've got it back, we've and got this capsule back, and now mm, how do we open this? They stripped the thread on the nut that held it down, and so they very wisely decided that they'd leave it, and there was enough dust on the outside for them to get busy with. So they have actually. I opened believe it. they have. Fortunately, or not fortunately, but I just coincidentally. I met a lady on my last cruise and her son was one of the scientists working at this laboratory. And these wow. are the sort of people you meet. This is what, again, what travel does for you. You meet people in just different walks of life. And she was so, because I did the story in my lecture and then she said, oh, my son's one of those working on the team to try and get it open. At this point in November, they hadn't. Mm. But I understand they now have. Yeah. But, but I thought what was very interesting in that story was that they were saying that there's enough material there to keep them going for... Oh, so, so many years exactly. in research. They only need to take a tiny bit oh, of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you another story. Only recently, we had a spacecraft that was in orbit around Saturn called Cassini in about 2004, right through to about 2009, I think it was. It investigated in particular the moon Enceladus. And Enceladus is the moon around Saturn, which is an ice moon. It's covered in ice, and we think there's liquid water underneath. And this moon, in fissures in the ice, emits material. These... PhD students got the Cassini information from 10, 20 years ago, analysed it and found those organic organic compounds in the plumes erupting from this ice moon, Enceladus. Never discovered before, never looked for before. And that, again, you do this work 20, 15 years ago, all the stuff, the data is there for you. And then scientists can access it for years. And, and that's the scientific nature of space exploration. We're always learning and there's so much to still learn. And also the way that they will be able to test the material, the samples, Changes, yeah. will change. It'll become more sophisticated. Things that they can test for in 20 years' time will be completely different. Exactly. Well, moon samples, we've got the moon rocks from the moon from 69 to 72, and they've still got loads of them that are untouched. They're going to start looking at them. Uh, just a quick challenge for people, because I've noticed this and I have no explanation for it. If you go outside tonight, if it's clear, or tomorrow night, or whenever, look at the constellation Orion. Now, hopefully most of you know where Orion is now. It's the one with three stars in the line, sloping from upper right to bottom left. And the bright star at the top of it is known as Betelgeuse. Everyone knows the star Betelgeuse from that terrible film a few years ago. And Betelgeuse is a red supergiant star. It's very red at the moment. Far redder than I've seen it for years. And a few people have commented on this to me. You go out and look for yourselves. It's Most stars look to be white in colour. This one has a hint of red. Not the moment. It's vivid red at the moment. So I don't know why. There's been no explanation about it. But just go and have a look for yourself and wonder at what's going on on that star. And if you've got an idea, Parkin at manx.net is the email. Absolutely. Now, Howard, we're beaten by the clock as we always are and you will not be joining us on the final Sunday of the month of January as you normally would. Tell us why, Howard. I've got to work. I've got to go away and do some work. I'm flying to America tomorrow and joining a ship in Los Angeles on Tuesday and then going straight down the Pacific to New Zealand. So I'm going to be showing people the wonders of the Southern Hemisphere sky. 
and uh, hopefully I'll be doing that for uh, about three, four weeks and then we'll be coming back and tell you all about it when I speak to you next. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, for giving us a look in this bumper new year edition, uh, having a look at the Manx sky and in space, things that we can look forward to in the year to come. And I will let you know there'll be lots of publicity for when Howard will be joining us again to take the next look at the Manx sky at night. Howard Parkin, faster my. Faster my, Judith. Stay